Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of our weekly Exploring the Parsha class with Rabbi Rebecca Schatz and Rabbi Matt Shapiro. We are in Parshat Bishalach, and in lieu of doing a Parsha class, Rabbi Schatz is now going to sing about the women dancing with their timbrels <laughs> for the next 55 minutes. There you go. You got two oh, thumbs wow. up. Oh, you got some thumbs up there, Rabbi Schatz. It's funny that you say that. Oh, I was and talking, three. Tidal was, also coming out was, with a digital thumbs up. I was talking to, to a few of our interns yesterday and just mentioning that there, there's a lot going on in Bethlehem right now. And uh, Rabbi Shapiro and I are kind of holding down, down the fort uh, a little bit alone. Um, and uh, and so I was well, saying. just changed her. Look at what Tybal just changed her, uh, her video to be background. music notes. There you go. I see that. Um, and so I was saying how I'm, I'm just kind of like t- too overwhelmed to even know where to start as to what to write for the, <laughs> for the sermon this Shabbat. And one of the interns said, why don't you just sing um, <laughs> Miriam and whatever the song is actually called. Um, and I said, pass. <laughs> you wanted to do it for a more boutique audience yeah but i wanted to do it here I'm, I'm happy to sing a little bit of it if that would make people happy is that at the end like sometimes we save our musical treats for the end oh yeah i'm not you want me to write this second i have to like I, I don't know you can warm up you can you can, oh, can warm up thank you you can warm up okay on it great um, oh, and other stuff happens in the Parsha too. Rabbi Schatz, you have disabled my screen sharing. Clearly, you you don't trust me anymore. So we should oh. we should ex- explore what I have done to betray your trust. Oh, good. Now I can share my screen. Okay. It's called Miriam's song. Don't worry, I just looked up the lyrics. <laughs> there, there you go. Clever name. Truth and I I like truth in advertising. So yeah, that's true. You do. Okay. Um, we are actually going to pick up after, um, the most well-known and cinematic part of this week's Parsha. I remember, by the way, I remember the very first time, you know, they show the Ten Commandments on TV around Easter because they do. Um, and I remember we would always be in New York for Pesach. And so it would start super late. And that movie is so long. And my parents would always tell me about how cool the Red Sea scene was in the Ten Commandments. And it was like a really big deal when I stayed up late enough to finally see. Eh, it's fine. Um, I actually think that it's cooler in The Prince of Egypt, the way that they depict it with the, with the whales and the fish on the side of the, the wall of the sea. Yes, that's true. But very- Rabbi Schatz, since yeah. I am so much older than you... When I was growing up, back in my day, Prince of Egypt Uh was not yet an option. We liked (laughs) it that way. And we walked uphill to school both ways (laughs) in the snow with no Uh shoes and candy bars cost a nickel. Okay, so we are in chapter 16. Now a shot like that. We are in chapter 16. The Israelites have have crossed the sea. We are out of Egypt. We have we have left slavery, 
and uh, we start complaining immediately. Okay, so <laughs> we are here. To be fair, we were complaining before also. We resume complaining immediately. Yeah. Is that yeah, better? Yeah. We resume complaining immediately. Yeah, I just want to make sure that we all know that Jews were forever complaining. It didn't start after this. It was it was a forever complaining That's thing. True. Just in our DNA. Um okay, so we have we have crossed the sea. Um we <clears throat> begin to set forth on into the wilderness. And uh people start retching. If only we had died in the flesh when we sat by the flesh pots. Flesh pots is always such a funny word. Um, you have brought us out here uh, to to starve and to die. God informs Moses, "I will rain bread down for you." Right. So you will, and then you will in turn. Everyone will will gather each day that day's portion. That's so that sort of foregrounding what we're going to be talking about a bit today. Um, and that's, and that's a test, right? Whether, whether or not people gather what they need for each day is a test. Um, and then we, we start hearing about Shabbat on the sixth day. Um, but it'll actually be the, they'll get double, right? Because you, you, you get what you need on the sixth day so that you can also in turn have enough for Shabbat. This is the first Shabbat. Um, This was one of the many iterations of a sermon that I was thinking of yesterday. But this is the first Shabbat that we actually um, observe. And it's interesting because we don't have any laws around Shabbat yet. So it doesn't say, you know, don't don't do certain things. There's no don'ts and do's yet in terms of Shabbat. But it is a time to come together and to eat in community. So uh, I think Rabbanit Alyssa Thomas Newborn wrote about that um, earlier this week. And I had read a bit of it. And it just, uh, I thought was a very, a very sweet way of thinking about Shabbat that no matter how you practice it, it, it's a way of bringing people together. Sounds like you got a sermon. No, no, that's not. No, that's not a sermon. Okay, we're getting all the we're getting all the deleted scenes of Rabbi Schatz's potential sermons. Very good. Um, so uh, Moses and Aaron tell people that um, you will you will get you will get flesh to eat in the evening and bread in the morning. There's this there's this interesting. I'm I'm actually now just noticing this phrase now. If I'd noticed it earlier, uh, Rabbi Schatz, maybe we would have talked about this. This in verse seven. Uh, that in the morning you will see the, the presence or the glory of God uh, because you were fetching. That's, that's very interesting. Maybe we'll look at that next year. And I will forget about that by then, assuming we haven't all grown horns by then or, or something. Um, okay. Uh, then Moses says to Aaron, tell them, uh, get close to God. He has heard your grumbling. Aaron tells them to go forth and and once again there behold appears God then God who's there speaks to Moses so so a bit redundant here right here is what's going to happen they will get they will get flesh they will get bread and sure enough verse 13 in the evening quail appeared and covered the camp in the morning there was a fall of dew but when the dew lifted lay a fine and flaky substance it's like like uh, like frosted flakes uh, fine and flaky substance as fine as frost on the ground um, and Israelites said, hey, what is that? And they didn't know what it was. And Moses said to them, that is the bread that God has given you to eat. So that sort of gets us up to speed. And now here are the verses that we're going to be taking a closer look at. Chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. Um, 
I'm not going to announce the 18 different page numbers for various Kumashim, but it's chapter 16, as Rabbi Shatz is so adept at doing at Shabbat Morning Services, uh, chapter 16, verses 16 through 18. Okay. Um, so we know we're getting this food, but what are, what are the parameters for this? This is the matter that God has commanded. Gather from it. A person according to that which he eats. So one Omer for as many people, as many, as, as many of you as there are. Each person, right? Each person from the tent should take. So it's it's actually, it's not clear to me, Rabbi Shatz, maybe you can clarify. Is this saying that each person needs to go out or it's just that you're getting um, one per person? I thought I thought it was the latter, but the translation is thinking maybe it's the, the former. Well, I think uh, the commentaries end up playing into the way in which we understand them ah, two good. different ways. So. Rabbi Shatz will save the day, as always. Verse 17, Ve'asu chem uh, Israel. They did that. Ve'yolketu mamit. And so they did this, and they, right, some of them gathered a lot, and some of them gathered a little. Ve'yamodu va'omer, when they, when they measured it by that amount, the person who took a lot didn't have any extra, and the person who didn't take that much wasn't missing anything. Each person gathered as much as they needed to eat. So just, you know, a, a, a slight framing for this before we open it to Kushiot, which is that, you know, I think in general, the idea of... Um, surplus and scarcity is a really interesting one writ large. I think there are, you know, in the long list of things I know very little about are, uh, economics and how resources work, but it's, it's just generally interesting to think about the amount of resources that we have and, and how much we throw out, right? Throw out food in our house that we don't necessarily eat. And there are people who don't have enough to eat. So that certainly rings out to me in this and the challenges of that. To reflect sort of more inwards a bit in terms of the, the mental health and spiritual growth component, I would say that, again, the idea of um, surplus and scarcity is a really interesting, important, and challenging one, right? What am, what am I grasping for? How do I see that I have enough in my life that that which I am blessed with is enough, hopefully at least most of the time? When am I grasping for too much? When I see that I don't have enough, how do I ask for help and get the resources that I need? Um, I, I think I think that there's a lot to explore there. I, I, there's plenty of different pieces I can I can riff on in there, but I at least wanted to just kind of give that that general framing before we turn it over to to Kushiot, as I will do now. Oh, thank you. All right, Taibo, go ahead. Um, you know how obviously when the same things one reads in the Torah over and over again and react to different things. And this might be because of your Tuesday night class. Mm -hmm. But what's jumping out at me here is the idea of measuring that, that it's, 
objective. It's, yeah. it's already, and I'm more, at least for me, I'm more used to thinking of rabbinic Judaism as what's the kazayas, what's, how much is this, how much do you have to do with that? But it's so interesting, at least in what's up in this shared content is how much a focus it is to measuring and that it's exact and each person gets this same thing. Yeah. Yeah. That is a very interesting, <clears throat> a very interesting piece. And I, uh, I think that, you know, when we look at, I, I didn't focus so much on the Omer um, equivalent to like how we think of an Omer today, right in between Passover and Shavuot. But it is interesting that it went from being an amount to being something that as you're kind of describing in, in the drash that you're uh, giving us is that it went from being an amount to really being something that that dependent on how it affects our lives was either a lot or a little, right? And and that is somewhat what we're talking about here with the mana, right? That, and we'll see this in some of the commentaries that the Omer, though it meant, let's say, four sheaves of wheat, if that's not accurate. I actually could look it up. I have it right here. But um, if it meant a specific amount, th- it still felt different to different people and different family households. So those amounts were um, were subject to to interpretation, so to speak, based on based on who was dealing with them. Uh, Ilana, Denise, and Larry. I put Larry. It says Larry Silk. Bonnie in Larry's memory. <laughs> so the thing that strikes me in particular is is at verse eighteen. Yeah. Which makes me wonder whether uh, Karl Marx and Friedrich Engels read this uh, verse in their Hebrew school class, um, because it is definitely a paraphrasing of from each according to his ability to yeah. each according to his need. So uh, as a devoted capitalist, I clearly uh, am uh, intrigued by this. Yeah, I'm so glad that that's the verse that intrigued you because it was also the verse that intrigued me when we were picking verses and I was so excited about the verse and I was I was looking at a regular homage I wasn't looking on Safaria and Rabbi Shapiro said that's great that you like that verse. There's absolutely nothing on it. <laughs> there were no commentaries on it whatsoever. So we took it back a few because as commentators are are known to do, they started commenting on on verse 18 in verse 16. So we'll get a little bit of that. But yeah, that's exactly what caught my attention as well. And I think to Rabbi Shapiro's point, like, so what does it mean to then be enough? Right? What does it mean? Are you deciding that? Was God deciding that for the people? Um, And what does it what does it mean that you also think that you know how much you need, right? To just kind of turn that on its head uh, even one more time. But, but I would argue that it's th- that what the, what the, what it does not answer is what's the, in is there, what is the incentive for the, the person who had gathered much to, to go out and gather much? If he, if that person, oh, if that person is going to get what that person needs, regardless, it, it's, right. it's, you know, yeah, that's a that's a really good point. I don't know if Rabbi Shapiro found anything on that, but that's that is a very interesting point. There, are, I saw a few, though I didn't pay attention to them. I saw a few comment <clears throat> commentaries on what happened if you gathered much, right? What what happened to like your your share? Um, so we'll probably we'll probably get back to that point. Or, or even is there a, is there even if there's a non material reward if yeah. you gather much and share with the community? 
and you will receive these spiritual, uh, emotional benefits, whatever that may be. My my sense on that, just very briefly, was that it 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 was it was less proscriptive and more descriptive, right? That it wasn't like this is what you should do, and more just like they they were told this is what you should do. Some of them took a lot, and some of them took a little. And then lo and behold, it actually turned out that everybody had exactly what they needed, right? That That's kind of how um, I read it, which is, of course, far from the only way to read it. But that, that it was less like, this is what you should do, and more about like, this is what, this is just kind of how it unfolded, which is which is slightly different, I think. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Denise, and then Bonnie, and then Rebecca. So I read it a little bit the opposite. Um because when it said gather as, as much of it as you require to eat, and then in Hebrew, like, lefi achlo, mm-hmm. um, it just remind me, like, a friend of mine works in a school, and, and they use that word lefi also. Um, yeah. al pidarko of life, yeah. right? So, and it's, it's about being very attuned to the individual, and, you yeah. know, the way that it's like each kid learns differently and whatever. Yep. Um, so this to me jumped out, I guess, because I saw that word, I thought it was more about like people figuring out for themselves what they need. Um, and I really liked that. Like I've been doing a lot of mindfulness, so it it was very much like that of like just tuning into your own self with no judgment, with no outside prescription, stuff like that. Then later it comes in and tells us that there's an Omer, but it, that still doesn't mean that they didn't do it that way because who had much and, and excess and little and deficiency, those are all like subjective terms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It fits with if you did it according to what you really need, mm-hmm. then you had the right amount, whether it was a lot or a little or whatever. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I, you definitely are picking up on, um, Lefi Ochlo is definitely similar to Alpi Darko, right? It's just you are then deciding for yourself. Um, I was actually just teaching my sixth grade Mishnah class about when we say the Shema and Beit Hillel actually says that you should say it like along your way in whatever way is best for you, which is really interesting. Um, That's obviously not how we say the Shema today. uh, and, And yet so much of what we are understanding from um, similar actually to what Rabbi Shapiro was just saying back to Elon's point um, is that if it's lefi ochlo, if it's according to what you need to eat or what you eat, right, whether that's need or just want, um, then it really is up to the up to the person as a as opposed to up to the amount that you're supposed to take. But then my like halachic brain is asking, well, then why use the word Omer, which is a very specific amount. So, um, yeah, I think I, we'll, get, we'll definitely get back to the Lafi Ochlo piece. I think that's that is the that is the thing that I think the rabbis pick up on most in terms of this amount question. Uh, Bonnie and then Rebecca. So the, initially, when I first saw it all, the thing that jumped out at me was the pandemic and the idea of sure. foods shortages and things not on the shelves and mm-hmm. food security and mm-hmm. hoarding and all of yeah. those things. Yeah. Then though, when you get to 18 and everyone gets whatever, so God is providing that. Yeah. But in some senses today, we are supposed to be taking on God's work and do we need to Beautiful. make sure that everybody else 
gets what they need. Yeah. Right. In a certain way, <clears throat> to actually kind of go back to what we were talking about in our Midrashah class on Thursday, right? we are now the hands that are supposed to be doing this work that God once did for us and with us, um, that, that in order for us to allow people to feel like they have what they need, we as humans need to either make sure that we pull back in how we define what we need, or we make sure that we can give to others when we have much, right? And they might not have enough. So yeah, it's a really, a really beautiful point. Rebecca. So the first thing I wanted to say was exactly what Bonnie said. That it <laughs> kind of reminded me of the toilet paper and, and all that. Yeah. Um, but I just wanted to add something small that is not really related to mental health, but more to health. And that is that I was trying to look up this, this article that I saw maybe two days ago that um, I don't remember how exactly they measured this, but the the bottom line of the article was that if you walk at your own pace, you will uh, reap the most benefits in terms, I think, of weight. I don't, I wish I could find it, but the point was you shouldn't be walking at somebody else's pace. At your own pace, and that, that way you medically supposedly reap the most benefits. And they did some kind of measurement and sort of... Uh, I would love to see that article. That sounds I'm, really interesting. I'm gonna. I'll try to find it. it. You know, it's one of those things that popped up on my phone, and now right, right. <clears throat> yeah, that's very interesting. Very interesting. And I wonder if that's because then you're not putting strain on your body to walk at a faster pace, and also not going too slow that that you're not working your body in a certain way. That's it, it, That would be a very hard thing for my family. I Growing up, I feel like my mom's most comment, most current, most often comment um, was... Most frequent comment? What? Most, I think most frequent comment? Whatever. Anyway, the thing that she would say the most to us when we were walking across the street was that she's much shorter than the rest of us are. <laughs> and so she would always say, you know, we would be like six blocks ahead of her because we just have longer legs. So that, that would be a very interesting article to send to her and make her feel better about how we used to leave her in our, in our dust just by walking. Well, it also, uh, it, it yeah. makes me, I mean, I, I gave blood earlier this week and um, I, sim- similar to the parental configuration in the shots home growing up, I am a significantly larger person than my wife is. Sarah's Sarah's a a much smaller person. And when she tries to give blood, it is much more difficult for her because she's smaller, right? A pint of blood for me is very different than a pint of blood for her. It's not because she can't give blood. It's just proportionally, it's, it's a lot, right? There are certain ways in which standardizing things is necessary for like, you know, us to be able to function collectively, but there are also limitations when we, you know, sort of uh, impose a framework that that doesn't fit everyone um, in a way that it applies to everyone, right? Giving blood is obviously a micro example of that, but I, th- I think there are other ways in which we can see that. And so I think there is a dance there between the individual and the collective, and then feeding that back into these verses, the question of like proscriptive versus descriptive, right? Are we being told everybody should take what they actually need and no more, or is it actually being described? People took what they needed and lo and behold, it just kind of, kind of worked out. And I think that that's, you know, I'll I'll leave that there for now because Mike so nicely has his hand up. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks. Um, You know, at the same time, I'm like 
projecting forward a little bit, but I'm, I'm wondering, you know, yes, everything was provided and seemed to work out descriptively fine, but, uh, but yet there is the, the, the hint that, uh, or maybe I'm just imagining it because I'm thinking ahead in the story, you know, uh, like, uh, the, when the spies were sent out and mm. they were, and you realize that you have to make decisions. I mean, you, 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 you're, you're, they're sort of naive in this, uh, because they were always given something and they need to grow, grow up. And there's a, there's a lot to growing up, but yeah. in a sense, there's a, a hint that uh, everybody gets what they need. Yeah. And, and, and so somehow th- this is an early indication that um, uh, Hashem is putting uh, some sort of human choice into uh the equation here that that you sort of take what you need for your group or yourself but but everybody in the end has to have what they need you know yeah. What they yeah i hadn't thought about it in terms of development or you know the way in which we quote grow up um but when you think about you know if you if you <clears throat> are around a little kid and they're eat my <clears throat> My best friend has a, a small a small child who's just eating solids for the first time, and she will just eat. She'll just continue eating. I mean, if you continue putting food in front of her, she'll just continue eating. And at a certain point, she said to the doctor, "You know, how do I how do I know when she's no longer hungry and the food is just something that is novel?" And so she's excited to put it in her mouth. And the doctor said, you know, babies don't work that way. Like adults can overeat, right? And and babies obviously can as well. But babies, um, probably not toddlers, but babies will will only eat until they feel like they're they're done, right? Like they they're not going to continue stuffing themselves because they're not going to feel well. So it is interesting that if we think about this in a developmental stage, like where are the <laughs> where's B'nai Israel in their development in terms of what needs to be put in front of them versus them making their own decisions. And is this that pivot? Is that, is this the, the point at which God says, I've been putting all of this out in front of you for a long time, right? See last week's Parsha in terms of plagues, et cetera, et cetera. God's doing all of this work for them. And now it's your turn to, t- to start figuring out how to take care of yourselves. There's still parameters and there's still that parent figure making sure that the, you know, the right portions go to the right kids. But at the same time, you, you people are taking on the responsibility of, oh, this is something I need. So this is something I should figure out how to do. I had not thought about that. And I, I really love that, um, that read of this. I, I like that too. But as a pediatrician, I can tell you that a lot of that has to do with the actual, um, mechanics of the body and so right right sure when, when the stomach gets a certain fullness in other words like you cannot feed a two-month-old uh off you know the the stomach is going to be it's going to hold four ounces and not eight ounces right here. Right, right. Yeah, I think that's what you just said it in much better language. But I think that's exactly what her doctor was telling her when she was asking about solid foods. Yeah. But I'll, I'll, I mean, for for teeny tiny humans, that's true. I think also, of course, like what 
when we get old, right? We know this people develop complicated relationships with food in all kinds of ways. And that's also partly because food isn't just food, right? Food is it, it's sustenance, but it also can represent a host of other things and can be a place in which, you know, any number of other connected personal, emotional, whatever they might be um, elements can emerge and the way in which we choose to overeat or undereat and how that maps onto the way in which we're interacting with the world at large, you know, in terms of questions of development and, and interfacing with the world, um, there, there, there's a lot in there. And that, that gets really complicated and potentially really fraught really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, like the sense that, oh, just everyone knows exactly how much like halavai, if only, right? If only right. each one of us sort of, we're able to maintain that intuitive sense of exactly what we need to eat and we have enough and we're just able to eat that and pause there. Right. I think, I think about the ways in which, you know, if you compared what, what an American portion quote unquote, when you eat out is versus a European portion, it's insane, right? It's like three times as many calories, right? Is that, is that because Americans need a larger caloric intake than people who live in, you know, Portugal? No, right? It's it's just the way in which we've kind of evolved culturally. And there, there are lots of other ramifications there that aren't just about um, the number of French fries you're eating, right? Okay, Rebecca and then Nancy. Um, I wanted to kind of take another step sort of backwards uh, to what Michael spoke about and then Rabbi Schatz, you did. Yeah. Um, in that maybe... You know, if we look back, they were slaves and they took care of nothing in their lives. You know, I, I, we don't know exactly what their lives were like, but that's another step away from being completely dependent on the environment we live in. Um, is, is that's part of their independence. Yeah. Yeah. It's also very interesting. Nancy. So as I keep hearing everyone use the phrase, everyone gets what they need, It, um, I don't think about food. What I think about is that I've used this phrase and tried to teach it to many people in my career, and it's very difficult. Mm-hmm. You know, I for a while I was an itinerant teacher, special ed teacher going into general ed classrooms, and this concept of thinking of people as individuals And what they need is so difficult for people who want to think of, you know, a group of children as a group, just as a class. And everyone gets the same thing and it's not fair instead of what we really know is is the best for people, which is, you know, you get what you need, which is going Mm -hmm. to be different than the person next to you. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Great. Yeah. Yes. If I were to say something, I would just be repeating myself. So I'm just going to say, agreed. Shamati. Uh, Rabbi Shapiro. Why don't, why don't, I, I, I have a lot I could go off on here. Why don't you, why don't you start? Because maybe that'll help me coalesce my thoughts. I have like one rabbinic source and I have a lot of random bits and pieces I could say. Is there... But do is the rabbinic source. I just spoke for like the past 20 minutes. Why don't you I spoke sometimes something. too. Were you not listening to me? I was saying some stuff. Probably not. That's, that's, that's terrible. Um, I was practicing my, my song and dance for the end. There's a, there's a dance? No, not actually. 
Man, um, I'll say one thing, and then I'll bring the Rabinicky piece. The thing that that came to mind for me was, Tybal, you are on it today with your backgrounds. Um, what came to mind for me because we keep talking about the difference between like the same and fair, right? Like I think about, of course, my kids. It's not fair, right? Like if, unless they get exact, unless everyone gets exactly the same whatever it is right and the same does not mean fair right the, the, that's that's not what that is and nancy to your point for somewhere along the way pretty early on we 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 get that real quick and i don't know what that is right that that there's a sense that unless it's unless it's exactly the same quantity of i mean sugar is is the most common uh culprit in that um but it's it yeah the fair the fair is in pomona exactly that's what that's what harry would say they you all the time um that you know it's it's not the same and it's not it's yes it's that the fair is in pomona but that fair doesn't mean identical you know, fair doesn't mean everything exactly the same. And I think just to dip very, very briefly into this, right, that plays into conversations that are coming up around, right, equality versus equity, right? Everyone having exactly the same thing that might be equal, but that given that different people are different and are coming from different backgrounds and different resources, um, those are, there, there is a distinction between those things and how we respond to that and how we think about that. Um, can can unfold in any number of different ways, but at least we're finding our language to reflect that. The one other have you seen, not, have you seen have you seen that picture? It doesn't say fair, but have you seen this one around a lot? Have, has everybody seen this picture before? Yes, it's in different forms. There's it yes. says equal and fair on another one, but it it just is. It's an interesting visual to be able to see yep. um, that that which you were just saying. Right. And the other the other piece I'll say is I think that that isn't just, you know, a social or an economic component, although I think we're, we're referencing that a lot today and, you know, high, high on the list of things I know very little about. I think the more the more I learn, the more I, I learn how many things I know very little about. I know almost nothing about economics. I know almost nothing about a lot of things. Economics is one of those things. Um, but the more um, that we become epidemiologists when it comes to covid correct now i yeah. am actually certified as an epidemiologist i think, I yeah. think it's like that what is all it? rabbis it, are 10 10, hours means you're officially an expert in something so i think i'm definitely there or at least it sure as hell feels like i am yeah. um but i i think about when i worked at bechuva and we would talk about how it's an individualized program that different right. people definitionally need different things because we're all different. And yet right? they're at the same place, which is actually a really the interesting The same way facility with it. the same resources, but right. recognizing that different people in order to get healthy and stay healthy, right? Mm -hmm. Some people might need therapy twice a week. Some people might actually not need a spiritual counselor. Some mm -hmm. people might need to be able to go to surf therapy the first week they move in, even though most people don't go until they've been there for two months, right? Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. there are, there are different needs that people have because they're different people. And that mm -hmm. seems to be such a core essential truth 
And yet, invariably, right, if someone who had just gotten there the first week would get on the van to go to surf therapy, there would be six residents who that evening would be fetching about how come he got to go his first week. I had to wait 60 days. Like, well, you're different. Well, it's not fair. Oh, okay. You're right. It's not the same, but fair is not the same thing as the same. Um, And I think that that unfolds in, in a lot of different ways. And I'll also add for me, I also have a hard time with that, right? I'm not, <laughs> I'm not saying that, that therefore, because I can identify and shine a spotlight on that, that I am immune from some of the same thinking in terms of seeing the ways in which this unfolds in, in any number of ways. Uh, or no, no, let Elon speak. I just want, I just want to say that Sorno actually speaks directly to that and says that every Israelite would receive an equal share of mana that God would provide. It would satisfy each person in accordance with the amount of food that person was used to consume regularly. So it's interesting that that's being called equal and yet it would satisfy differently based on, you know, if you are Sarah Baruch, you're not going to eat as much as Matt Shapiro, even though you might be in the same household because you're of different, of different sizes um, in terms of what your body is going to <clears throat> need for you to consume. A thing on your thing, and then I'll actually let Elon talk, which is that um, in, I think it's in the mission. I don't know the exact source off the top of my head. And I don't think I don't know if this gets codified later on, but when we think about giving tzedakah to people, there's a construct that the way in which we give should actually be governed by what that person was used to having before they became impoverished. So if someone... It's in Baba Metziah. Oh, so it is at least in the Gemara. I don't know. I don't know if it gets poskined out. Rabbi Shatz, you've now heard me say poskin twice in two days, so your week is made. Um, But... Uh, if, you know, if someone used to have a $10 million home in Beverly Hills and they become impoverished, according to that, they actually should get in return that $10 million home because that's what they're used to having is sort of the the logical extreme of that, yeah. um, which, you know, that that's an interesting perspective to have. So I'll just leave that there and I'll actually let Elon talk. So this is a little bit of, of a philosophical pushback to what you said vis-a-vis fairness. The problem with the fairness that you describe is that one must, if, if one gives an equal amount to each person involved, then there's no judgment, right? Then it is what it is. And it's hard to push back and say that's not fair. Yeah. But when when you give different amounts to different people, whether that be cookies to your children right. or scholarship money to students, immediately one uh, is at the mercy of the judge of who what's fair, right? And it's way easier to accept, okay, everyone got the same amount. There's no judgment. That's fair. But if you, Matt Shapiro, decide that you're going to give one kid three cookies and the other kid two cookies, or if I'm a dean of, uh, of admissions and I decide I'm going to give one kid a $25,000 scholarship and another kid a $20,000 scholarship, right? I'm the arbiter of fairness, right? And, yeah. that, and that's, that's problematic, right? Because, it, 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 because there are many people, there are many people who are the arbiters of fairness who are good people who are motivated by good things, but there are other people who could be arbiters of fairness who actually might not be fair themselves and can show favoritism as a result of that. 
Yeah. I think I, I, you know, I think this could probably be its own, you know, four session seminar that again, I would be, you know, woefully, what a series. I didn't, I didn't say series that I would again, you know, be, be woefully ill-equipped to facilitate. It won't stop me from talking about it anyway, because it hasn't stopped me before. Um, I, I think the, the two and a half things I would say to that in response are, well, first of all, I hear that. And, and there's of course truth in that, right? That, that there, the, the problematic elements of recognizing how limited our understanding and knowledge is, uh, of others are is real. You know, someone might write an application for any number of things and say they need more than they have and have that given. And yeah, that might not be fair. Um, I think in response to that, I would say one, I think there's an element of relationship there that hopefully is present that, that of course that's, that's tougher now because we live in a, in a wider societal web than we ever have. Hopefully, right. When people are saying, here's what I really need. There is some degree of relationship there where they can say, Oh, I know who you are as a person. And I see that, yeah, this actually is what you really need, right? And you're not just posturing. You're not, you're not over asking. You're saying, honestly, hey, I need some help here. Or I need differently than this person needs and that there's some kind of relationship there. And, and then flipping that around, and, and this might be easier or harder or just different, the challenge of cultivating self-knowledge to be able to articulate the difference between a need and a want. Mm-hmm. What do I actually really need? And is that something that I would like to have, something that's necessary, something that is necessary for me that might not be necessary for someone else? Um, and I think it, it, is, it is a deceptively simple and, and very difficult thing to cultivate a real, accurate and astute sense of what do I as a person actually need. And, and I'm not just, I mean, yes, economically, but I'm saying in terms of the emotional support, the, the communal support, the self-care the and yes the the economic resources and and just raw goods that i need in order to sustain my life um you know we get we get raised and acculturated in all sorts of kinds of ways that present us with a default in terms of what we think we might want or need um and how do we see that with some clarity i think that's a really difficult thing well, and to go back to the comment about how like we then take care of one another in terms of not taking too much for ourselves, if we know that there are other people that need, g- going along the lines of recipients of scholarship, right? If you, I just um, read and watched uh, uh, Little Fires Everywhere, if anybody has seen that read that book or seen that show first of all the show is amazing the book the book was also very good but if if you don't have the book and you're interested in what i'm about to say you can you can watch the show it's a very good show you know what the um, sequel is called what you know what the sequel is called big fires nowhere big fires everywhere yeah. okay that was okay I, great um there's that's no my dad joke of the day yeah, that was, I'm glad. Okay. Um, but anyway, there's a, there's a plot line in the show. I'm not giving anything away that a child who has a lot ends uh, writing an essay for, for school based on a child who doesn't have as much. Um, and I think that, that part of, you're totally right, Elon, that if you are the dean of the school, you are the one who gives out the scholarships. And we also all have to have a little bit of the responsibility of 
putting, knowing that there are other people in the world who probably need that more than the child who wrote the essay that wasn't actually her essay, because that person should have gotten the scholarship, not her. So now you're actually stealing it. This is why it's in Bava Metzia, because it's it's a, a category of onaat dvarim, to steal something um, that even if it's not an actual object, that you're stealing thoughts or you're stealing um, uh, opportunities, right? That that we as a community then also need to make sure that our actions are such that we allow for those people who need certain things to get what they need because we haven't taken them. So, you know, I, I think, I think that is, it's, it's one step harder for us to think about in terms of asking for things that we might also need, but in, in living in a community, being able to recognize that want versus need and, you know, what, what, what is it that a person next to me might actually need that if I ask for it, I will get, and then they can't have it. I think it's all, I mean, the other thing that came to mind as you were saying that was in, in what, whether, whether or not this actually happened in history is between uh, me and the Lord, our God and the Torah. I don't know. Um, but it, if it did, right, then there is there is no previous cultural context for this, right? Everyone is kind of starting afresh and anew, and there's, there's a much simpler sense of like, okay, well, all we need to do here to assess what these people need is their basic caloric intake, right, which, which is a, right, right. you know, something that needs to be calibrated, but, but is, you know, relatively straightforward when we get into our current cultural context and uh, systematic elements that have unfolded over the course of decades and centuries and assessing assessing fairness and equity and equality and how to make sure that people get what they need while not turning our back on people who might have come from communities that have historically been more advantaged but yet still need some resources to continue along themselves that is that is much more complicated right that's that's really really tricky and what I would kind of try to bring it back to you are A, the principle that is elucidated here in terms of descriptively saying in the ideal, people are getting what they need, period. What does it mean to need? How do we assess what we need? Well, yeah, though, that's why we have, you know, centuries and centuries of commentaries. Um, and again, just kind of trying to reflect that back inwards um, and going to the mindfulness piece that was at, that Denise, I think you were naming, right? Like, how do I pause amongst the hustle and bustle of my everyday life where I have all kinds of thought patterns and patterns of emotion and I get, you know, taken away on those train tracks, right? Before I go along that, that journey of what I think I need and what I, what I, what I know I want to pause and take a breath and assess, okay, what's really going on here? Is that something I actually need or am I feeling a lack somewhere else or a craving somewhere else, or a frustration somewhere else that is then pushing me to say, and this is the thing that that, that will fix, that that external thing, I'll be able to take that in. And as soon as I acquire that, or I ingest that, or I absorb that, that need or that perceived lack will, will dissipate. And is that actually true? And sometimes the answer might be yes. Sometimes, um, but oftentimes I, I think it's, it's, uh, it's at least um, only partially, if not, not at all, right? Mike, you've been waiting very patiently, which I am not good at doing. Based on what Elon and Rabbi Schatz and, and yourself said, I think it's interesting 
too. I don't know how many of you received. Uh, I, I received an email yesterday from uh, Dr. Uh, Rothblum from the Pressman School, and you can't, uh, you know, the, the, you also have to think of this in a dynamic situation. I would bring up the question of, she talks about you can't put a changed person in an unchanged environment and how they're having to reimagine the education or like trying to start out like, oh, well, we can start out now, hopefully just like we were in 2019. But in doing that, having to think about what's changing the person and how they have to adjust the educational process at the school based on that people are dynamic, they're changing, their needs change. Yeah. Dr. Rothblum is, is, First of all, a fantastic human and also has um, made sure that as a senior staff, we have we have used that as really a thesis for a lot of the conversations we're having right now. Right. Shabbat services, the school, how we teach, uh, how we engage with our members. Um, it's a it's a really fascinating concept and one that that you're right is definitely coming up in terms of this might have been good for this moment, but we also have to make sure that it's dynamic so that it doesn't stay that it was just one Omer, you know, two years later, that it became something that we could that we could change over time. Tybal and then Paula. Um the thing that you said before, Rabbi Schatz, about each person getting according to the standard of living they were used to. Yeah. Um, I just wanted to share a- an anecdote. I'm in Maryland and in my Maryland shul at the, oh, Maryland shul at the time, um, someone named Ken Feinberg, it might be second career, but he now has this career as deciding things for victim compensation commissions. And he did the nine 11. So at least at my shul where he was, or maybe his shul, he's older, right? Okay. His shul where I happen to be a member, there was a lot of discussion be- about how the, the Jewish sources influenced his take on doing that for the 9-11 victims. Mm-hmm. And for me, it particularly resonated because my life experience, I was hurt at work in Maryland in 1988, and Maryland workers' compensation was the opposite. It was set at, for everyone, factory level, low levels, no cost of living adjustments. So it, it just really, because this went on, I think, a few years in the discussions about how he's influenced and he gave talks, just the difference between the the federal, whether or not it was as influenced by Judaic sources as the rabbis on the pulpit like to think versus mm. what Maryland. Anyway, when mm. you said that, it just really reminded me of that. Interesting. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, Paula. Uh, hi. Took me oh, a yeah. minute to like, hit okay. the right button. Um, this is really an interesting discussion about getting according to one's needs, one's history, and it, I just uh, spent last year writing an article on wealth inequality in the black community with two, with a sociologist and another lawyer that will be published. Hopefully they've got, we submitted our final draft. And so in a realist, a California law real estate journal, but it's so interesting for me to 
think about reparations and think about historical wealth inequality. Yeah. And in this Parsha about everyone gets what they need, that we're all, we all had that same experience leaving Egypt. We're all living in these tents that our experience was homogenous in a way, as opposed to, you know, the Levite tribe had one experience and the, the you know, Menashe had another experience. So it's, it's, and I think as a Jewish community today, I think we grapple with this with, within what's the role of government. You know, at this point, God is government, right? And God speaking to Moses and then Moses you know, talking to the people go. And earlier I had written a comment about there's an expectation that not everybody will go out and gather, which is really interesting to me, which is really like, what does that mean? It means that other people have other responsibilities. Other people have other abilities or lack thereof. Mm -hmm. So I think that I, I really appreciate this discussion in terms of how to how to lean into it and how to think about the role of government and the role of leadership in our society to address some of these inequalities so that, um, you know, you can't... How come no one's mentioned the name of a rock band so far, you know, but you can't always get... I'm thinking of the Rolling Stones right now, you know, you can't always get what you get want. Get what you want, yeah, true. Right? <laughs> Your fault, Paula. Yeah, no, I... I wanna, it's wanna, sometimes. Okay, one of the things that you just said you that I, oh, okay. Um, one of the things that you said that I think brings me you back. Get to, what you need. I will. Okay. New band, uh, Rabbi. That's an old band. It's an old band. Okay. Okay. Rabbi Schatz is going to walk over to my office and unplug <laughs> okay. my But I am really curious about what she's going to say. Um, so there were a lot of commentators commentaries that I that I looked up um, similar to what you're saying and and yet they say it in such a different way and I just wanted to share it with you that a lot of the commentators point out to this to this um, homogenous nature of of us going through a similar experience but that as he as you very aptly named not everybody right in the way that it's written not everybody was necessarily going to go out and get what they needed um, or received that which they needed. And one of, one of the ways that this is, uh, uh, is described and explained is that the parent, it says father, but the parent of the household gathered that which they needed. And it wasn't for him himself, but actually for his family. And, you know, as we understand in families, it wasn't just like, oh, my dad gathered for the other five people who live in our house, but he would have gathered for, you know, our spouses and our kids because he was the head of the household. So it really is that tribal feel of taking care of one another. And it's just, it's such an interesting way of thinking about what does it mean for you, right? What does it mean that you gathered for yourself? That the commentators seem to think of the for yourself as as really a communal uh, mm-hmm. gathering, right? That that it was something that because they all went through this experience together, that there was somebody who was in charge of of um, 
designating, you know, th- that that which everybody needed, but but they needed to think about everybody else. It couldn't just be them thinking about themselves. Um, so I just want to share that because I think it it I I hope adds to what you were saying. It's not the exact same, but it, it's definitely a way in which um, this was seen as communal and yet an individual needed to think about the community. It couldn't just be them thinking about themselves. Which gets back to the idea of relationship too, right? That, that, that yeah, the sure. leader of the household needs to know the people in their household Correct. really well, which might right. in turn even be a challenge for some of us to think about how do you assess even just what the people in your own household yeah. really yeah. need, which we might not always have a clear sense of. That connects to the one piece I was going to bring, which can lead into my bow, but Rebecca is going to go first. Thank you. <laughs> I, I, I just wanted to add that um, to the whole fairness discussion, and um, we think about it often as, you know, who got more cookies or, but if there's also the flip side, which is, say, the repercussions when it's a kid, um, and later on when it's the government, how we punish people for certain things, sure. how society punishes. Um, I think about um, the Me Too uh, events that we went through and how clearly certain figures uh, ended up paying a much larger price than people that are not as well known. Um, but just with the, the unfairness of, of chores in the home, you know, and on the other hand, uh, the unfairness in, um, you know, jail times, prison times. Sure. It's, it's another sure. way of, of looking at what somebody deserves maybe um and how we how we yeah that's a really it's an interesting it's an interesting way of thinking about it right on the on the reverse not just oh i have so much to say about this now not that just that which we need but that which we are dealt in terms of who we are and what we do and and for unfortunately in our lifetime what you look like um and how your your, you know, existence kind of has certain markers on it that, uh, that play things out for you in such a way that obviously is not fair. Um, but, but that is, is somewhat seen as quote, the way things are done. Just terrible. <laughs> okay. Robert Shapiro, try to put a bow on that. Oh and then God. I can sing the song if that's really necessary. I have, I, I have so much to say about how this, plays out in the criminal justice system so rebecca totally oh well do you want to give a sermon because my my sermon is is half written you can give the sermon tomorrow if you want i don't know (laughs) if i would be able to i have no shortage of things to say i think i would need to to be filter i think i would need to to run that through a couple of filters in terms of the position that i might be articulating there and i'll just sort of leave that there but to to be definitely do not have a system that has certainly does not have much well it's challenged in terms of equity and equality in that regard and i'll leave it at that part Um, of what i am i'm just gonna say one thing okay i'll I'll announce that i'm gonna speak now but um part of what uh part of what I am talking about tomorrow is this idea that at the end of the, at the end of the Parsha, um, we, we hear that we're supposed to write down, tell Joshua and then get rid of, 
um, our memory of Amalek. And um, one of the things that I'm talking about is the connection then to Martin Luther King Day and how obviously not equating Amalek to, to MLK, um, but the way in which that would be a weird sermon. Yeah, but the way in which the reason that we have a day like MLK Day is because we have not done everything that MLK wished for our world to do, right? And we need to write those things down and be able to see those dreams into reality. Um, and the only way to do that is to make sure that we we understand that which has been done and not repeat that history, but actually take those steps forward, just like um, we did in the splitting of the sea. So you, you, um, heard, you heard it here, folk, first, folks. Uh, Rabbi Schatz thinks MLK is like Amalek. No, I did not say that. And that would be a terrible thing to have people repeat. So let's not do that. Eliav was very excited yesterday. He asked me, is Tubishvat the same day as Martin Luther King Day? I said, yeah, it is. So Rabbi Schatz, feel free to, to work that into... Yes, uh, there are many things to work in, and and it's also twelve oh five. So your turn to do a bow, and Great. then we're gonna go. Bow, and we're gonna go. What do you know? Hi ho. Okay. Um. So I, I I'm briefly gonna just bring in the idea of shemitah here. It's interesting for me as well that we're in a shemitah year when we're supposed to let land lie fallow, and there's an implicit faith in that as well. That will be enough for. Like that there is going to be enough, right? That in letting the land lie fallow in Israel, there will somehow be enough food that is produced in order for people to be able to sustain themselves for a full year, Mm -hmm. right? That's just such, I mean, you talk about a leap of faith, right? And there are, of course, legal mechanisms that are now in place so that it's not exactly how it happens and so on and so forth. But I think it's of a piece of this and even expanded out this idea that if we have faith and we let things be, there will be enough, and I think that when it comes to faith and trust, I think that that's a really interesting idea. The one rabbinic piece I was going to nod to is Chizkuni's comment on verse 18 is that he told Rabbi Shatz, I really like the Mishnah that you brought, uh, Midrash rather, that you brought, that folks, um, uh, I don't, the people on the podcast can't, can't see, but this idea that something miraculous happened, that even people who had misjudged the quantity that they thought they needed found out when they returned to their tents that they had collected exactly the amount. Kiskuni has a slightly different take on it, which he says, if someone found that he collected more than an Omer, he would throw out the excess. And if someone found he had collected less, he would, he would go back and gather the balance that it actually wasn't miraculous. It was actually something that people took upon themselves to have the agency to do. And I think that that's a beautiful thing to aspire to. Right. I, I like if only right. If only each one of us was able to cultivate a clear sense of what we really, really need and to find a way to that, that we would be blessed to have enough so that we have that and blessed in turn to be able to um, give the, the, the resources that we don't really need to those who in turn are in need or then are able to reap the benefits of that awareness and generosity. Um, I think that that's uh, a beautiful thing to to try to aspire to even a little bit more uh, than we each currently uh, do individually and communally um, and something to aspire to. Amen. Shabbat Shalom. Shabbat Shalom. And the women dancing with their timbrels followed Miriam as she sang her song. Thank you. What a way to go into Shabbat. (laughs) 
I hope you mean the singing, Paula, not the class, just the singing. Yeah. Both. It's yeah, really right. great. It's really just gets you thinking. I appreciate it. I good, like to see you too. People right. on the podcast can't see me dancing. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.